Is it Piercy? Yeah, Piercy is right. Yeah, Piercy, great. Dylan Piercy, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to get talking about all this stuff. You were recommended to us by Ryan, who we had on to talk about Solid, and he briefly talked about Marco a little bit, and I was curious to learn more about it, and he said you were the guy to talk to. So first, before we get into Marco at all, why don't you let our listeners know who you are, what you do? Right now, I'm working at eBay. I've been there for just over four years. I started programming way back when I was a kid, kind of as a hobby thing. Started copy pasting, you know, some websites with some slight tweaks to start a thing for some games that I was playing and so on. Then eventually it got more into non-HTML based programming in Java because I was playing a game that was so grindy that I decided I didn't want to play it myself. I wanted to write a bot that could play it for me. So that's kind of where I started programming. What game was it? Uh, it was RuneScape. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, if any of you have played it, you know, it's a very grindy game. Anyway, so I started writing bots for that. And then I started sharing these bots and all that stuff. So that kind of got me into like a semi open source community where people are sharing things. And we just wanted to make the most efficient methods for essentially botting the game. After that, I did go to college. And that's when I really started to focus on web development. And really, in my second job after college, I worked at a place where it was called Tiller Digital. Essentially, we just pumped out websites after website for various customers of various different sizes. Some were more application-like and some were just kind of splash pages for various marketing agencies or whatever company you could imagine. With those sites and pumping them out so fast, I wanted to make sure that I could use all of the cool new tooling that was coming out at the time. Like React was pretty much brand new. Angular 1 was still very popular at that time. So I wanted to be able to use these tools, but I also realized that for a lot of these sites, SEO is going to be super important. And then the other thing is I needed to make sure that all of this stuff worked back to, in some cases, IE7 or i 8 and that was actually a big challenge. And so one of the things I realized I could do right out of the gate is take advantage of progressive enhancements so that, you know, I could deliver the base functionality of the page using essentially, you know, links and forms and stuff like that, and then progressively enhance that with JavaScript. And because React supported like a hydration mechanism, I could essentially render my page with React, hydrate it and add some additional functionality after the fact, which was a really interesting pattern for me and felt kind of like the best of both worlds. But the first thing I always had in the back of my head is like, I have this progressively enhanced experience. It would be nice if I could do more and more isomorphic code. And the first thing I did was like, how can I bring this server-side router that I have into the browser? And so at the time, React Router was still a baby. I think it was like just kind of released. A lot of the routers that are out there, and even now, you know, they're all kind of like spa-oriented and didn't really have great support for the kind of server rendering that I was doing at the time. And so I built this little router that essentially allowed you to write an express-like router that worked in the browser as well. So you could essentially write your routes that would work on the server, and you could integrate it with Express. And then you could run that same subset of routes in the browser, and it would kind of work. And it was framework agnostic, and that was kind of interesting, which allowed me to set things up a lot like Remix does today, where you have a form in the browser, and then essentially once the JavaScript loads, 
the JavaScript code in the browser can handle the form submission and add some additional functionality, you know, show something immediately to the user, do validation, those kinds of things, loading states and so on. So that's kind of what I was focused on at the time. And then the interesting thing after that was I started taking this framework and trying to write adapters for everything. As you do, one of the frameworks I tried to write an adapter for was Marco. And that's kind of what started me into Marco. And I realized that it was going to be a bit of a challenge. And part of the reason it's a bit of a challenge is because Marco is kind of fundamentally different than a lot of the frameworks that exist today. And so that's kind of what drew me in. And actually, to this day, there isn't an adapter for my little router framework for Marco, because it's kind of just a different paradigm. And I actually think the paradigm of Marco is better suited for a lot of the experiences that I was building at the time anyways. And tinkering with Marco and playing with that, um, eventually Patrick, the original creator of Marco, kind of reached out to me and that's kind of what brought me into eBay. That's interesting how you say that Marco is a different paradigm. This is what got me interested in it is because We've been talking a lot about partial hydration, both on the show and just within the general web dev conversation with projects like Astro and Slinkity and now Isles and Quick. As I was reading about this and learning more about it, learning more about the history, I kept getting pointed back to Marco and it would get mentioned and I would be like, Marco, what is this Marco? Like, I'd never really heard of it until I started learning about this stuff. And then it kept coming up. And not only did it keep coming up, it was the only thing that came up that was released before like 2019, 2020 that had done any of this. And it came out around 2014. So it seems like it was way ahead of the curve. But I'd be curious, you use the term progressive enhancement in there. I want to tease apart what is the difference or similarities or relation between progressive enhancement and partial hydration? Could we like to find both those terms? Progressive enhancement to me is like building the lowest common denominator experience. And as far as the web goes, in my mind, and obviously people have different definitions of this, I'm not the progressive enhancement police or anything like that. But in my mind, you have a page and the base functionality of that page is there's links and forms. And that's how you can interact with a vanilla web page, assuming there's no JavaScript. And then there's also CSS. So you can provide some functionality, like you can actually have it so that when you click a checkbox, it animates or something like that, because you can do all that with CSS. So there's some things that are just built into the browser that don't require any JavaScript. And I think optimizing your page for that base set of functionality, just the forms, links, and CSS styling and all that stuff is a great way to get started. And then after that, you can add progressive enhancements. So one example I can come up with off the top of my head, you could have something where it's like a drag and drop experience. So a drag and drop experience is not something you can do without JavaScript. There's no HTML form that's like, this is a draggable form element or something like that that's just shipped by the browser. But even something like that, I think you can look at it from the perspective of progressive enhancement. So you could look at it and think, okay, if I'm a user that's coming to this page, I have JavaScript disabled. I mean, not a lot of users have JavaScript disabled, but there's lots of users who, for whatever reason, the network fails, the JavaScript has code that the syntax isn't supported in their browsers. For whatever reason, the JavaScript isn't there. What does the experience look like for that user? The way that I would approach a problem like that is, okay, how can I build this experience in forms. Maybe I add controls to the draggable elements so that I can actually move them around the page using a form, basically. And then after the fact, once JavaScript has been enabled, then I can progressively enhance it to add the drag functionality that hopefully would be using the same underlying code to shift the elements. So essentially, I click a button that is a form that says move this element from here to here, or I can progressively enhance it and add a drag action that would do the same thing. So that's the way I look at progressive enhancement is how can we deliver an experience that works for the lowest common denominator and the simplest way to do that, especially if you're back in my younger years trying to support IE7 and IE8 where you don't know what the JavaScript's gonna be like or the JavaScript support is really terrible. The lowest common denominator for me is often the HTML form elements and links. 
So then you were saying, how does that relate to partial hydration? Partial hydration is really only possible when you have a multi-page app in some sense. I mean, there's probably innovations that could be done there, but for now, the vast majority of partially hydrated setups are through multi-page apps. The reason for that is because essentially you've got a setup where the server or, you know, through static site generation, the HTML, like something has rendered some portion of the HTML and you're sending that portion of the HTML to the browser. And so some of the work has already been done. Because of that, it means that the browser doesn't necessarily need to rebuild the page from scratch. There's a lot of things that are just like 100% unnecessary overhead to send to the browser. So if you've got a progressively enhanced application, especially if you set it up from the get-go such that some experiences are completely defined through forms and link clicks and stuff like that, then you have potentially higher surface area of content that can be exclusively rendered on the server side. The more you opt into the progressive enhancement mental model, the easier it is for you to build experiences that could be pre-generated, static HTML, or even server-side rendered, and so on. So I do think they're not totally related, but they kind of do work well together. I'm not being awkward. I'm just out of my depth at this point. So I'm just listening. This is a complicated topic, and this is why I've been digging into it and wanting to learn more about it. And the conversation we had with Ryan, there was just like so many things. He would like explain it. I'd be like, okay, I think I get it. What might help is... We talk a little bit about like, what is like the syntax of Marco look like? Like when you're actually like, writing Marco, like what is it exactly? Marco has its own language. And part of that's just because we want to be able to optimize things in a slightly different way, which I think actually speaks to one of the things that is interesting about Marco, especially way back in 2014, is the fact that it has a compiler in front of it. Marco, just like Svelte nowadays, compiles HTML, string concatenation on the server and some kind of DOM mutation logic in the browser. Right now we use a VDOM in the browser, but that's going to change with the future version of Marco. But so as far as the syntax is concerned, it doesn't play a huge role other than that we want to have full control over the experience because the main thing we want to be able to do with Marco is look at your template and be able to discern what needs to be sent to the browser, what parts are interactive. And it's just a lot easier to analyze that in a language that's a little bit more structured than just there's JavaScript and then you've got these little JSX sections in there. The Marco template has sort of a defined top level export. It's always there. You're not exporting multiple React components. You're not conditionally exporting things. Like there's a whole bunch of additional things you'd have to consider when you're trying to optimize JSX pages, which is essentially what Solid is doing and he's doing his optimizations at the level of JSX. And I honestly, if you would have asked me if some of the things that they're doing in solid right now would have been possible using a JSX like syntax a few years ago, I probably would have said no, but Ryan's come up with some pretty interesting approaches to that. And so I think there's definitely room for innovation in JSX as well. It's just when you have a language that's clearly defined, it makes it easier to, from a compiler perspective, uh, go in and optimize that kind of stuff, right? Because there's just less cases you have to worry about. The other thing is, since we're defining a language, we can make things kind of easier for the developer as well. So like in a Marco file, basically from the beginning, you don't actually, I mean, you can, but you don't typically import other components. We use a Node.js module style lookup where you have a components directory and it just finds the closest components directory and then it ultimately propagates up to your Node modules. It's a lot like, I think there's a plugin for Beat to work with Vue that automatically discovers components. It works a lot like that, but we've had that from the beginning. But so there's a lot less boilerplate. You don't have to import the components. Another thing is JSX. Initially, when it came out, people were like, the fact that I have to map 
like use a JavaScript map here is kind of awkward, especially at the time where it's like maps not supported in all browsers. You've got the ternaries and the logical operators that people use to conditionally render stuff. Like at the beginning, people were like, this looks pretty weird. Obviously, it's pretty commonplace now. But if you have a DSL like Marco that is designed for rendering HTML, you can make things a lot more clear looking. Like we have an if tag from the beginning. We have a for tag from the beginning, just like solid has a show tag and a for tag as well. So there's advantages to being a DSL, but I wouldn't say that it's like Marco is what it is because it's a DSL, although it's definitely made things easier for us to do. What's the use cases of Marco that you see that are currently in the industry of where they started in 2014, I think you said, and it's use case there. And how has that use case evolved to today and today's needs in the industry as a language? I think maybe it could make sense for me to talk about why Marco was built for eBay in general and what that kind of transition looked like back in 2014. So a little bit of backstory, eBay was primarily a Java shop before 2014. It became clear at some point that writing your front end logic and using Node to have isomorphic code and code sharing and like all the benefits and the concurrent model of Node and all that stuff, like there was a lot of advantages that were piling up there. So obviously eBay started looking into Node. eBay is a site that is, I mean, we try to be very optimized for that first load experience. A lot of traffic to eBay is coming directly from a search engine. We can't necessarily rely on that a user has been to eBay in the past week or so since we've done a deployment or whatever, and we don't want to have them to you know, download all of our giant JavaScript bundles before they can even experience the website. So from the beginning, we've really been focused on that first load performance. With the Java-based setup, it was really set up with a sort of sprinkling of interactivity. It's a multi-page app, and then we had just some vanilla JavaScript and some helpers and stuff like that to go and add interactivity to the page. Obviously, that doesn't scale super well. Like It's kind of nightmare code to look at. It's not declarative and so on. And so obviously, there's huge benefits into having a declarative model on top of that. But with most of the front-end frameworks that exist today, they're set up such that you render the whole application or a big part of the application, and then you have to hydrate and re-render the entire application again in the browser to set up the event handlers, run the effects, and so on. And so that means you're actually bundling all of the code for your entire application. And so when we were doing A-B testing, going from the Java-based stack to a Node-based stack, if we were using one of these other frameworks, we'd quickly see like, okay, here they added a couple kilobytes of JavaScript to add the sprinkling of interactivity. Over here, we brought in like the whole application to render it when we don't actually need it. So Marco from the get-go was designed with the idea of how do we have a declarative experience for building applications with a sprinkling of interactivity. That's why from the beginning it had partial hydration support. And partial hydration still isn't perfect, right? Like under that effectively island is the term that people are using nowadays. Under the island of interactivity, there's still a whole bunch of stuff that really the server already did and the browser doesn't need to do, but it's a whole lot better than just sending the whole application down, right? So that was one of the first things out of the gate. The other thing is SEO is important to a company like eBay. And so we needed to make sure that the server side rendering was there from the get-go and that it was performant. And then another piece of that is if you want to optimize for first load performance, one of the things you're going to reach out to is streaming, especially when you have, and this is the case at eBay, your services that are giving the data to the, the front-end view. If they take any amount of time, streaming is hugely beneficial because however long it takes, you can move the waterfall of asset loading for images, scripts, and so on, you can move all of that forward if you're able to do streaming. So essentially from the beginning, the way it works with Marco is you do all of your async requests for data 
at the beginning before you start rendering, but you pass all these promises through your templates. So then the template's like, okay, here's all the static stuff that I can send to the browser and it's done. The browser's starting to download those assets, things are going good. As those async sections finish, we flush out more and more content. Really, these two optimizations, if you're looking at a multi-page app, I think they're like the logical conclusion, especially if you're coming from a multi-page app where it's just like, yeah, this was an experience that was relatively small, relatively fast. And like, why is bringing in these new tools making it like a million times better? I think that was really the forcing function for why eBay needed a framework that was optimized to be able to build experience quickly using declarative tools and so on, which is what Marco is trying to do, but also for that first load performance and MPA setup. And I think right now there's a lot of focus around MPA setups and people are, you know, kind of re-acknowledging the benefits of MPAs. And part of it is that there's this a little bit of baggage of people being like, well, the MPA setup, you can't do X, Y, or Z with an MPA, but it's like, but you can do a lot of stuff. And especially if you're saying like this section's interactive and this section's not and so on. So there's a lot of benefits there. And it's really more of a spectrum of where your app fits on the SPA versus MPA spectrum. And so I think with people realizing that, that's why these, in my mind, very sort of obvious places to optimize are becoming like more and more to the forefront. The thing is, since Marco was, how do we optimize for the MPA setup from the beginning? It's like, yeah, we've tackled those sort of obvious ways to optimize a multi-page app. It's also a little bit of an Achilles heel of Marco because we haven't super optimized on the spa side of things. Like we don't have an official client side router because we're kind of expecting you to do server side routing. Not to say that you couldn't do client side routing with Marco. It's just, we don't support that because that's not the way that we're using it currently. And most people coming to Marco, like they know its advantages are in the multi-page app setup and first load and all that stuff. So they're not necessarily going to be like, yeah, I'm joining Marco for these reasons. I'm gonna go build a spa-like router that kind of negates most of its advantages. It's a little bit tricky for people coming in, but I, I think that's really the key is that Marco was optimized for the beginning for that use case. And we're seeing more and more tools coming out optimized for that use case as well, which is really awesome. What do you sacrifice by using Marco? Because right now we've talked about all the benefits. It sounds like if I replace the word Marco with Remix, I'm getting a bit of deja vu to a certain extent without using either of them. I would say Remix really does a great job on the progressive enhancement side of things. And they've got server-side rendering as well, but Remix doesn't have islands of interactivity or partial hydration. It also doesn't support streaming, at least until they upgrade to React 18. Maybe they do support it out of the box. I'm not 100% sure. They probably will. Either way, it's coming soon. In that ways, they are similar. But the drawbacks of Marco, really, I would say, is it is kind of set up for MPA. So the ecosystem is very mpa centric. There just aren't tools. People aren't interested in building the tools for spa-like applications for Marco, which is something that I think actually has a ton of room for innovation on, which I would love to talk about some more as well. You know, it's sort of an ecosystem problem. And for the most part, eBay is Marco's biggest customer, right? So we've very much optimized Marco for eBay's use cases, which means we're kind of optimizing it for the tools that we're using. We've been trying to do better as far as integrating with tools that eBay isn't necessarily using, like Vite. We've got uh, Marco integration for Vite. But one of the things that is tricky is because Marco likes to look at the whole experience from start to finish, including the bundling and how we deliver assets because it's had partial hydration from the beginning. We need a lot of control over how we integrate with tools, especially bundlers. So it's actually a little bit more involved for us to go and write a bundler plugin than you know a framework that does the traditional style, rebuild everything in the browser hydration. Yeah, so ecosystem is, is a big one. 
Another one is, and this is something we're going to be improving upon. Since Marco is a DSL, the editor tools for that DSL don't necessarily work properly. Like you can embed less or stylus or whatever in a Marco file, but maybe the completions don't work as well. I think they do actually at this point, but TypeScript support is something that doesn't currently work in auto-completions in that regard. And I think Svelte and Vue have been doing a way better job in that their language servers have improved a ton. And now I think you get pretty decent completions. I think a month or two ago, Vue got TypeScript completions in their actual expressions. And so we're going to be doing similar stuff like that in Marco, but just by the nature of it being set up for a niche type of app and also having a DSL, the ecosystem is a little bit more sparse. We've used a lot of acronyms there. I'm just going to reaffirm them because some people may not know what they are. So what was NPA compared to SPA? SPA is single page application. NPA, just multi-page application. The reason I think the term NPA has come up is just because most apps these days are being built as a SPA, right? But really an NPA is like sort of the traditional way that you would build an application. I'm not 100% sure why we needed to reterm it, but I do think it's good to differentiate these two things. And another thing about MPAs is you can have a SPA, an SPA, in one of the pages of an MPA, or you can have islands of interactivity, you can do that approach. So I really think MPAs are a good starting point, because like I said, you can sort of progressively enhance an MPA setup all the way to an SPA. I'm not quite clear how you would do it the other way around, but you know, there could be innovation there. So in terms of the difference, and this is what I understand, an SPA is when you load the page, it basically loads your whole application and then it basically lies to the browser navigation and says they're on this new page, they're on this new page, they're on this new page when really the bundle hasn't changed. Everything on the page has just changed. MPA is more Every time a page changes, the whole bundle gets reloaded. Everything is completely different, but that means the bundle is a lot smaller because it's specific for that page. Exactly. If you're doing an SPA, essentially you're saying, I've got an app that we're going to be doing the vast majority of the rendering. Maybe you do the initial server render, but everything can be rendered in the browser, right? So you're basically saying, hey, browser, here's everything you need for my application. With a multi-page app, you actually have the ability to either pre-render to static HTML or by server rendering, have it so that the server or static HTML contains some initial render information. Like you can pre-render stuff. The browser never has to do that work and you can potentially cache it better. You kind of offload work to the server. The downside of that, you're going to have to communicate with the server unless you have a service worker cache in front of those pages. But the upside of that is, well, the server did a whole bunch of the work that the application might have otherwise had to do. And your server is likely running in a, in a known set of performance characteristics and so on, right? Like you know that your server is going to be relatively fast. You don't know what the end user's device is going to necessarily be. Maybe their device is super slow at running or hydrating an entire React page, right? So it is pros and cons, but I think the simplest way to think about it is deferring some work to the server. The main problem I see is that a lot of people are like React can render on the server and we've got the spa set up. And so server-side rendering is checked, right? But it's like, no, we've done the server-side rendering kind of to improve the initial perceived load performance, but we haven't taken full advantage of leveraging what the server did for us, right? Like we're still redoing a whole bunch of stuff in the browser. I think the best is kind of in the middle, like I said, having a setup where the server or your build step can do some of the work, like a pre-compiler for your app. Like it does some of the work and then the browser can pick up sort of where it left off. I think that's our goal anyways. 
it's kind of a really interesting ground where what you're saying is when we look at just their e-commerce glasses the the valley you could say you got Marco on the left saying compile everything on some MPA to make the page load as fast as possible. And then you got all of these like Next.js and like Gatsby and saying like, well, what we're doing is good enough and we'll never fail a lighthouse test and it's all good. Is there a problem with Eva? Ecomers, I find, is one of these really polarizing category in JavaScript because everybody chooses to do it a different way, but there's no like true way. And that's a good thing. But we always have the quote of whoever said it like every millisecond Amazon cut down on their load times made money. That's why it should be fast. But what is fast? How fast can you get? Right. And I think that's actually like the most important thing to figure out is how fast can we get? Why are we leaving all of this performance on the table? And I think looking at the MPA setup and thinking of it, like I said, as a pre-compiler for your app, rather than just like this old technology or something like that, has a lot of unexplored potential. Marco has obviously done some of it with partial hydration and more things are coming out that way. But there's actually a lot better we could do on that side of things. And I think the real question is, why don't we have a framework that can deliver an ideal experience depending on what type of application you've written? Like people want one framework to rule them all. And that always is tricky because optimizing for all cases is quite hard. But I, I don't even think we've figured out what the potential is as far as a declarative framework that could be optimized for an MPA. And I don't think we're going to get anywhere close to that if we continue down the path of just focusing on frameworks like Next.js and Gatsby. Like This is the floor of performance, right? They've changed where the floor of performance is. We're doing uh, full page hydration. So the bare minimum JavaScript percenting is X, right? Digging into MPA style optimizations is good just because there's so much unexplored potential there. And some of these things have come into modern frameworks like React is finally getting server-side streaming with suspense and so on. And that's something we've had forever because we needed it for our use cases. And so I think as we kind of figure out the best ways to do all of this stuff on the MPA side, hopefully we can converge more and more. Yeah, I, I really want to live in a world where I don't have to think about, I'm building an MPA experience or an experience that would be best suited for an MPA or a SPA experience. I just want to have a framework or a set of tools that's like, this one can do both. And actually for these pages, I want it to be a spa. And for these pages, I want it to be MPA, right? That's where I would like to be. Yeah, I saw a tweet from Ryan talking about Quick, and he was saying that it operates as islands, but can morph into a spa as needed. And that this type of functionality was going to be coming to Marco. So how is that possible? Technically, Marco can morph into a spa as needed as well, right? Like you can essentially have a router at the top of your Marco file. The problem is as soon as you have a router, at least in every framework setup, excluding Quick right now, you're essentially saying this section is routed client side, which means it needs to be able to be rebuilt by the browser. That's kind of the status quo of it. You hit a new route, you need the client to be able to re-render that section if you've got a client side router. What Quick is doing that's really interesting, they've kind of set things up such that no matter what's rendered on the page, it will download the assets just for what's rendered. I'm not 100% sure what a router would look like that could actually do a seamless transition. Like I said, what I have in my mind is more like you would denote like some pages are MPA set up or server-side rendered, and then you'd have a subset of pages that are an SPA. Ultimately, there needs to be a router that allows you to say, hey, this is that, this and this is that. I don't think there's any right now clear-cut way to determine which would be best suited for your application. Like if you look at SvelteKit, 
right now. They have a way to opt in and say, this is a static page, right? So they kind of have that already. I just think there's more improvements on actually optimizing the pages that are MPAs. And that's where Marco 6 is going. So right now, I said Marco has partial hydration or like an islands-based approach. And essentially the way it works in Marco today is we look at all of the components in a page and we try to find the top level components that have stateful logic. That is, they can re-render in the browser, right? So if you have a component that doesn't have anything that would indicate that it could re-render, we just leave it on the server side. That's how we're able to tree shake stuff out. But the thing is, when you look at things from a component level, that's not granular enough. Because you could imagine a component that has some state that could re-render, but maybe it has like this giant SVG in it or something like that, right? And that SVG could be totally static and could be exclusively rendered by the server. So you don't necessarily need to bundle that in your application to be able to re-render it in the browser. So what we want to do and what we're doing in Marco 6 is we're actually doing what we call sub-template hydration, which really comes in two parts. Firstly, we moved more of the language for defining state and lifecycle into the Marco template directly inline, kind of like React hooks, except you can put them sort of anywhere. There's no hook rules or anything like that. With that, we're able to actually track like, okay, this state is used by these two expressions. This state is used by these two expressions. And as a side note, we're taking that and compiling it to a reactive system, kind of like solid. So you have the benefit of the components only render once and so on. So there's going to be good client-side performance. But anyway, so with that, we're able to you know see, okay, this text right here, that's the dynamic piece. But you know the rest of this button and the rest of this like prefix text, like that's all static. We don't need to send that to the browser at all. And so that's kind of what we've set things up to do. And so with that setup, I think the simplest example is if you've got like a counter component and you're imagining it's displaying the current count, you've got a button that increments it. Like that's the simple example, you've seen it on lots of frameworks. If you really think about what it would mean to build an optimized counter page that is in a multi-page app setup, all that page would have in terms of JavaScript is code to go and find that count text and code to go and add an event handler to the button. And then every time the button's clicked, text content, you know, update the text, right? Ultimately. So there'd be, you know, maybe five lines of JavaScript that you would send down. And now the interesting thing is, so let's say we're doing partial hydration or component level hydration. We're actually sending down the code for the fact that there's a button. But the button was rendered server-side, so we don't actually need that. We've got some content in the button, like maybe increment or something like that, but that was rendered server-side. We don't actually need that. And so there's a whole bunch of stuff, even in like a fairly dynamic single component that could be exclusively rendered on the server-side. And actually, we just recently compiled that example and even something simple as that with what looks like a fully reactive component, our output component size was half of what it would be if we did partial hydration. So we think there's huge potential there. And it's one of those types of optimizations where it's like, oh, you could see like infinite gains from this potentially, right? Because you're able to exclude more and more code from the browser. And by excluding, you know, this chunk of code, well, now you've excluded this and maybe now you're not sending Lodash to the browser and like all this stuff. Instead of it being like islands, it's like moving to like, maybe you only need a house or something like that, right? Or an apartment. That's kind of the way we're thinking about it. How can we get it to the level where we are just sending down the stuff that is actually dynamic? That's part one. Does that part kind of make sense to you all? Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. If I can get into part two, essentially the other thing that happens during hydration is pretty much every setup right now renders everything again, even if it's islands, you're rendering that island again so that you can attach the event handlers and stuff. But if you really think about what needs to happen, like I said, it's just 
go and find a text node, go and add an event handler. Like those are the things that the server couldn't do or that couldn't be easily defined in the HTML. That's what you really want the browser to do. You don't want to be like, okay, re-render this component just so that I can get these things. One of the things we're doing in Marco 6 is essentially we keep track of code that only needs to run in the browser, which is your effects and attaching the event handlers. We serialize everything that is in the scope of those functions. That gets serialized to the browser. And then in the browser, we just say, hey, okay, here's some effects that you need to run. And here's some event handlers that you need to attach. And the way that we have things compiled, basically, if the server does any work, even if it's like a computation to map something to new data, it would actually serialize that depending on what was used in the effects and event handlers in the browser. So essentially, the hydration process looks a lot more like what I described, where you're just finding the elements in the page. That's one step of what we do during hydration. And then the other thing is attaching the event handlers and running effects. In that way, it's like optimized for bundle side size, but it's also optimized for doing as little work as we can do so far. Obviously, there's room for improvement, but it's impossible right now to create an app that's just like, build me the most optimized experience for this thing and compile it to craziness. But we have a pretty, I think, a good runtime that we're targeting, and it's quite small. I think the overarching mechanism and how we're doing the tree shake and all that stuff is coming out quite well. So hopefully that kind of makes sense. It really does. One of the biggest questions that I have, and I already know the answer to it, and it's kind of a stupid question. Can I put Marco plus React together? Technically, you can. Uh, the tricky thing when merging frameworks or using you know multiple frameworks on the page is now you've taken the cost of multiple frameworks. And being that Marco is kind of designed for that first load performance, it's like you're kind of defeating the purpose of using Marco. But there's nothing that would really stop you besides that it is a little bit tricky to figure out like transclusion where you have content like body content that you're passing to React and like making the APIs seamless there is a little bit tricky. But yeah, nothing would like fundamentally stop you from doing that besides you're just adding a bunch of JavaScript to your page now, from our perspective. Marco is not necessarily a replacement, an alternative for your view, your Svelte, and your React. It is, yeah. Great, because that's a really simple question that I'm not sure we answered. <laughs> because it's got its own style. My first thought was, is this like a really cool pre-compiling step that then you just use another framework like Svelte to do something later on? And then it's like, no, they do everything. But then it's that question of like, we're so used to either seeing tools as a React competitor or a React integrator. And it's that thing of like, where do you sit? Well, this sits by itself. My next question, okay, so this is obviously not something we're used to with SPAs. You know, how do you host a Marco application? Where do you host it? You know, if someone was to pick it up and quickly build an app in it, where would they go and host that? eBay has its own servers. So we're kind of deploying it internally, obviously, but you can deploy it really anywhere. You can run Node or you can also deploy it to the edge using Cloud for Workers or we don't have support for Deno Deploy yet, but I would say probably the best suited place for Marco would be the edge and uh, Cloudflare Workers. But really, yeah, like I said, anywhere you could run Node, anywhere you can get a Node instance like Heroku even and so on. Is there like a tutorial about putting it on Cloudflare Workers? This is something that I hear everybody talking about. Cloudflare Workers are the next best thing and we should all go and start using that. You've just said, we work great on that. I'm like, is there like already a tutorial wrote about like deploying Marco on that? <laughs> we don't have one right now. I mean, it's definitely something we want to do. You have an open issue asking for one. Yes. So we need to do that. It's a little bit tricky because like I said, it's not something that we're actively using at eBay. Like we don't use Cloudflare Workers at eBay. We are 
kind of trying to push for a more edge-based setup, but we do kind of already have a solution for that that's internal. Yeah, so I do think in the future we'll have more documentation for integrating with Cloudflare Workers because it seems like it is probably the best place to deploy Marco at this point. But like I said, anywhere that's running a node process would also be a good fit for Marco. And another thing is you can use Marco for building static sites as well. All you have to do to turn a Marco application into a static site is crawl it and download all the HTML and then just dump that to disk somewhere. And the nice thing about using Marco for static site generation, it still has the automated partial hydration. So it's still going to build you a static site that hopefully has bundles that only include the interactive parts for those pages. So you can use it for that setup as well. You've got a lot of open opinions as you don't necessarily pick one. For example, on your bundlers, you have Webpack, Rollup, Lasso, and you've spoke about Vite in this episode. We've seen a lot of React players just go, here's the one we've picked. Do you think that having a more open opinion to just use what you want is something that is far much more enterprise that you're like, because we make enterprise software, we have to do this instead of just being the lower one. It's a bit tricky because actually for the vast majority of Marco's life, it pretty much only properly supported one bundler, which was Lasso, the bundler that we've built. Lasso is kind of in maintenance mode right now, but it actually has a lot of features that are similar to Vite. It basically allows you to say with our plugin, hey, here's a Marco template, give me the assets and put them here and here, which is kind of what you want versus a normal, here's the JavaScript entry point, which is like your whole application. Give me the output JavaScript and I'll inline that in my page somehow. Maintaining both a framework and a bundler and everything is quite difficult. We wanted to explore supporting other tools. Marco is kind of set up such that we do need to have at least some control over the whole experience to be able to know what assets to load and all that stuff. So one of the things we did with Marco 5 is basically move a lot of the logic for figuring out what needs to be bundled into the Marco compiler itself. So Marco, instead of like a normal templating language like Svelte, like Svelte, when you compile it, it's looking at a single component. The Marco compiler right now actually looks at your whole tree and can make decisions and give you an optimized bundle based off of that. So it's kind of like a mini bundler just for Marco applications, which has made it easier for us to integrate with other tools. And if it's possible and easy for us to integrate with other tools, we want to do that. But obviously we want to promote tools that actually work for the use cases that we have. So like one of the tools that I see some hype for is Parcel, but Parcel is kind of not really set up for server-side rendering to my knowledge. I have never seen a good server-side rendering set up with Parcel. So it's like, we're not necessarily going to go and support that if we would have to basically use Marco in a way that wouldn't be optimized. And so every solution that we have out there, like the Rollup one, the Vite one, if you go and look at any of these plugins, you'll probably quickly realize that it's very different than how you would use React and Rollup or React and Beat because we actually expose APIs in all of these tools to say, hey, here's where you put your assets. Here's how this is defined. You actually don't specify the entry points for your application because we determine what they are. And like, so there is some differences there. But yeah, like I said, the main thing for us is we want people to be able to use the tools that are most interesting to them. We don't want to put all of our eggs in one basket or anything like that. But we want to make sure whatever tools we do integrate with actually work well with Marco. As you said, as we was going along, this area has a lot of room to expand. You know, we're seeing the SPA market being flooded with options and now server integrations being added into them, like Redword and Blitz, so you can do dashboard and that. Do you think all of that innovation is yet to be had on the MPA side? And a second part of that, is Marco the right tool to integrate on top of or will we see other tools in the mpa area emerge with these further capabilities like database prisma orms 
I mean, I hope other tools start thinking seriously about these types of optimizations. Like even the ones that we've done for a while, like partial hydration and stuff like that, like Astro picking that up, we're super happy that Astro has started doing that and that there's been more focus on that and so on. We've been looking at Marco from the get-go in terms of how can we get to these types of optimizations? How can we design the language that it's easier for us to compile to these optimizations and so on? So I do think we have a bit of a leg up. And we've also set up our compiler, like I said, so that it can look across multiple templates, which I think is kind of necessary when you want to do the kind of aggressive tree shaking that we're going to be doing. So I think there's some ways that Marco is set up to be able to achieve on these optimizations, but I, it's not going to be necessarily something that only Marco could ever do. Maybe Svelte could look into this. I do think any language that has a compiler in front of it is going to be way better set up to do it. But at the same time, with Solid, it's got a compiler in front of it, but it's still JSX. There's just certain limitations that you have to work within. So you could potentially come up with it like a subset of functionality in JSX or in a JSX-like template that could maybe provide the same functionality. But like I said, you're just having to think about so many different ways that people could write JavaScript that it becomes hard to reason about and optimize and so on. So the gist is I, I kind of think we have a leg up both in that we're looking into these types of optimizations and that we've kind of set things up with the compiler and such, such that we can actually do them. So... Anthony, it's now right time for you to go and make a Prisma plus Marco Dev.2 article. <laughs> yeah, that would be great. That would be the thing to do. On that note, I'd be curious, is there a community for Marco? If people are creating things with it, writing about it, where should they share it? Is there a Discord, anything like that? Yeah, we have a Discord. I think it's just discord.gg slash Marco. You can get to it if you just go to the marcojs.com website uh, in the bottom right. You can get to our Discord. It's a great place to chat with us there and you'd said before when we were talking that you'd never done a podcast before and you're a podcasting natural so thank you so much for coming on and explaining all of this stuff i want to get you on some other shows we had told the, the pot rocket people to, to get in touch with you that'd be great i mean i have so much more to to talk about there's some things i i wish i could have snuck in here but uh, yeah it was great talking with you guys definitely appreciate you bringing me on yeah thank you so much could you also let our listeners know where they can get in touch with you and follow your stuff I'm on Twitter. I think it's just at Dylan underscore Piercy or something like that. On GitHub, I'm just Dylan Piercy there as well. Probably the simplest, quickest way to actually get in contact with me is just on the Marco Discord or several other Discords. I'm on there all the time. So, well, thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Awesome. How do you feel about that? I thought it went pretty well. Like I said, I feel like I missed some things that I wanted to jump in to, but that's fine. Yeah, there's only, there's only so much time. Like yeah. for this one, it's like such a dense topic. Like there, there's so many.